going to look at the end of chapter 4, Mark, um, start in verse 35, and then head into chapter 5. I'm trying to go fast. Uh, it's not working out, is it? It takes a while when you go uh, through these texts. You know, we, we just sung that, you know, nothing else will do. You know, such a, a beautiful song to help us recognize that that's the main reason we're here, is to, to, f- to get that connection with Jesus, which gets us connected to the Father through the Spirit. Uh, get that better and better. That's what we're always trying to do. And there's sometimes, and I hope it happens to you in worship and other times in your life where you just feel really close and other times you don't, but it's still there, right? Um, so what do we do in here? What are we trying to do when we do a sermon? Uh, how does that fit into what uh, we're about as a church or what anybody should be about as a follower of Jesus? You know, the whole idea here, whether it's a sermon or a Bible study, and a sermon is a little different because we're make, trying to make sure that this is part of worship and, and focus, but we're essentially taking what God has revealed, the written word, and trying to find his meaning so we can apply it to our lives. Um, that's pretty good. Somebody should be writing this down. That's actually, I mean, that, that's kind of what we're doing, isn't it? You know, and that is key. We're trying to find his meaning. Uh, if we're not doing that, I don't think we're doing the text on injustice. Uh, find his meaning, then you can apply it to your life. And it may apply differently to your life than my life. Uh, because you're a different person and every relationship is different. Uh, so that's what we're doing here. We're I- it's a big $10 Greek word. Um, the uh, uh, exegesato, I mean, that's a cool word, isn't it? It kind of comes off your tongue, you know, exegesato, exegesis, you might have heard this. It's a bringing out. You're trying to bring out the meaning. And sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's not hard. You know, when Jesus came on the scene very early in Mark 1, repent and believe the good news for the kingdom of heaven is hand. That doesn't take a lot of exegesis. Uh, it's like, I'm here. You guys are in trouble, I'm here to fix it. You know, it's really not, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Here, we've gotten a little farther into the text. Now, he's got his followers, his main ones. Uh, lots of crowds coming. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he just finished up uh, a, lot, a few parables uh, that if you want to cross-reference, you can go to Mark, or excuse me, Matthew 13. has a little few more about the kingdom. And then eventually he's going on on that day it says in, in, in verse 35 when evening had come he said to them and them is probably the group of 12 let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd they took him with him in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And it's back to what Mark is doing, and we've been doing that the whole way. We're kind of trying to be the fly on the wall, listening and trying to figure out how the, what the disciples think he is now. And they keep asking these questions. Now, who is this? And what do you want to say? I'm, wa- I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, it's Jesus. He's going to the cross. He's going to do all this. But they don't get that yet. And we wouldn't either, probably. Um, 
I don't, you know, who's in the boat with you? Peter and John are in the boat. Now read first and second Peter. Read the Gospel of John. Read first, second, third John. These guys knew him really well. And then I'm going to superpose myself and say, well, I'd have this figured out by the boat. You know, and that's why it's so good. And, and if you uh, yourself are just starting to be seek God or you know people who are and you do know him, be careful not pushing people too fast. Um, I think that's, we want to do that. Well, we got to get them saved. And it's just like, well, you, you can't anyway. And what if, <laughs> I love these questions, nice philosophical questions. What if God wants to take a couple years for them to understand? Well, what if they perish before that? That's not really up to you. You can help them not perish if you want, as best you can, but that's not up to you. This, this, you know, God will give it the growth. So here we have Jesus tells them to go to the other side. So we're going to Gentile territory. Remember, in the Jewish mindset at that time, not too much different now, but some, there were two types of people in the world, Jews and non-Jews, who we get the term Gentile. Sometimes you get Greek, you know, uh, but that's the idea. Um, and I'd like to, this is, you're going to see this all the time, and it's what, I mean, you all have, I could say, what is the coolest thing about Jesus? Um, for those of you who don't know what cool means, the best. Um, for you, you know, and, and there's lots of things. It's like one of the things I've always liked is, it, you know, Jesus is the smartest person ever lived. Got that? We're all dumber. Uh, more dumb. Uh, and he's always in charge. Even on the cross. Uh, everything he said, everything he did, everything he thought was always what he should have did and thought and said. And that's good to know, isn't it? So he's in charge, and there's little debate on who's in charge. It's not like they said, well, you know, he wants to go across, but, you know, I don't want to go. Let's vote. I don't know if you knew that. This is not a democracy. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a democracy, but when God is there, you might just want to listen to what he has to say. Um, it's a kingdom of God. We just heard about the kingdom of God last week with all these parables the last couple weeks actually and who if you got a kingdom you gotta have a king and, and I don't think they quite realize that yet but they're gonna start they know he's a great teacher they can call him that you know you might have your translation might say rabbi it's the you know Aramaic word for teacher um, they're gonna continue to learn that he's much more than just teacher and that's the thing when, when he learned who they are they're not saying well no you're not a teacher you're the Messiah no you're the teacher and the Messiah. Oh, and you're not a Messiah, you're God. Well, no, you're the Messiah and God. You know, it, it, it just keeps building on that. You know, you can be that too, you know. You can be a fry cook and a father, right? You don't have to be one or the other. So they're starting to figure it out a little bit. Now, why go to non-Jewish territory? Well, we'll make some educated guesses, and I think the text itself kind of helps us. First of all, I don't know, and, and really show of hands, and this is really a little bit of participatory, so you like this to keep you awake. Uh, how many people have been to the Sea of Galilee? One? Nobody else? Has, well, if, if, and you can, you can Google it. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting body of water. I think if I remember, it's about 13 by 10 miles, which is decent. It's not yellow smoke. 
Uh, but it's also not Lake Superior either. Uh, so, but it gets really deep. We were able to go out in a boat, and it, it's supposed to be similar to the boat that maybe they use, and it was kind of fun. It, it was good. Um, but it was a nice day. It was kind of like today. Uh, light breeze, you know, just... Uh, uh, but they did tell us, which was interesting, that storms can come up because of the arid climate um, on one side, and it just gets odd. You think, well, whoop-de-doo. I mean, if I'm on my, you know... I know some of you maybe fish or go into, you know, yellow smoke. It's like if a, if a storm came up on yellow smoke, it's like you could pretty much walk out. Although there's probably some places. But this is different. It gets, it gets as deep as 150 feet in some places. And, the, and they do get big waves. People have said that we were on the boat with, the guy's name was Daniel. It, you could probably guess what the name of the, the company, Daniel's Boats, uh, it was... He told us that he's seen waves of 30 feet. You know, you got a boat, you know, that's not that big, which they weren't huge. Um, it can get scary because you say, well, these are fishermen. What's the big problem? It's like, well, okay. You know, you could say, well, I'm a farmer, so the lightning won't hit me. It's like, well, I don't think so. You're probably the one that's not in the field when the lightning's hitting. You're smart enough. And they wouldn't be on the sea if they knew a storm was coming. So here's a map. You always have to have a map if you're talking about, you know, geog geography. Um, this is, uh, and just, you know, a little bit of advertisement or just note, this is a geeky part of the sermon if there hasn't been one yet. <laughs> I'm not going to go too far into it. You can get your own map. But you can see they're, they're here in Capernaum, and they're going to come over here to the what we call the Gesenerate. And they get, they're probably right in here where the storm comes. And there's a lot of other stuff on this map. But this kind of gives you the topography. Here's Capernaum. Here's Bethsaida. We can center it, comes into here, Galilee's here, all that kind of stuff. And they're coming into here. So they're in the, if you, I don't have this, but this is one of the deepest parts. Um, so you might think, why do I care? Well, always remember when you're studying the Bible, looking into the Bible, it might not be that important, but you might just find out that somebody's reading this text as a seeker and they're like, well, this can't be right. How could there be big storms on the Sea of Galilee? And you can say, Bingo! I got a reason. And it might just help them a little bit. That's okay, right? You know, and it backs up the text. If it doesn't bother you, I, I don't care. Um, I always do that with the Trinity. You know, we try to explain it and tell people what it means. And, you know, and people will say, well, I just believe it on faith. I'm, I'm like, great, I'm glad you're good with it. But what if somebody's not becoming a believer because they don't understand it? Can you at least take them by the hand help them a little? Or just bring them to somebody that might be able to help that's what we're trying to do. So this is a, a real storm, a really storm. And I realize what you want to do now. We're trying to get meaning. Meaning. This, this is finger. Actually, that's God, man. BBS. Wait, we're going to do that. Um, meaning. We're trying to get meaning. Not application yet. Because what we tend to do is like, you know, I could do this right now. I could say, well, you, you, you might be going through some bad times. And I I'm looking around here. The percentage chance that one of you is going through a bad time, pretty darn good. It might be like a storm. Don't go there yet. I mean, I'm, we'll get there in a minute, but let's figure out what the heck is going on first, right? And then we can apply. Get meaning first. We know there's a storm going. But like the healing miracles, Jesus' authority and identity is shown here. Miracle over nature. It's the first time we had this. This is supernatural. This is not Jesus being a good weatherman. That's not the way that the text doesn't allow it. It's not like he lucked at, the, you know, the, 
you know, the Capernaum times and it said, right around three o'clock, the storm's going to quickly stop. No, he, he, he does this by his word, which is very helpful. And I think that's what we, we do. So, so Job 26, Psalm 135, and Proverbs 3 are three verses that talk about God's control of weather. I don't know if you knew that or if you've read through Job. Job has more about the creation and the way the world works naturally than any other, all the books combined, including Genesis. It's almost all about that. I mean, it's, 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 it's obviously a dialogue, but half of Job is about creation. And here's one. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not spilt over them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over its cloud. All this is like he's got, he's got the, well, we sing it, right? We maybe we'll sing it at VBS. You know, he's, I don't know. He's got the whole world in his hands. Come on, join me. We could do some, wait, him, wait, that's not till next Sunday. Him sing. Well, I don't know if that's a hymn, but um, Psalm 135. He, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth. So who does it? God. Who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from the storehouse. Now, I like that one. It's like, we had kind of nice soaking rain here a couple of days ago. Was that this? That was Friday, right? But then you look on and you find out, well, they really had a soaking rain in certain places. They got like eight inches in 45 minutes. It's like, God, I think you maybe turned it on a little too much there. Yeah, and that's, that's harder, right? It's good when we get it. But we, we the Lord, this is a proverb, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. It's, uh, there's verse after verse. This is representative of hundreds of verses about God's con controlling the weather, doing all these things, creating everything. There's creation texts throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You don't just have to go to Genesis 1, uh, although don't exclude it. Um, and the key point is God controls the weather. And I said that with the kids. It's like we can't even predict it right. I had a friend who was a meteorologist in Des Moines. And so, you know, being kind of a math geek, science geek, that stuff's really hard to predict. You know why, like, in the, in the winter they'll say, well, it's going to snow somewhere between, you know, 4 and 38 inches. Snow is really hard to predict amounts. One thing they get really good is temperature. They're almost always right on that because it's a, it's a combination of humidity, barometric pressure, altitude, and, you know, the way the fronts are going. So that's not hard if you know the science. But we're just talking about predicting the weather. We're not talking about controlling the weather. You have to go to Star Trek to get that, which they have figured out in the 24th century, if you didn't know that. So we'll see. Well, you won't. We'll all be dead by then. But that's sorry. <laughs> Try to keep that under my head. And also to be consistent, it, it, this is just a conjecture of my own. If healing miracles, we've had this last couple weeks, are expected today, which we have people that expect them, um, wouldn't weather miracles also be expected today? I, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but it's just a possibility. You think about, I don't know if you remember, but there's three main times in the Bible where there's a lot of miracles. A real bu big, bu and that's it. I mean, even after Jesus' ministry, the apostles do a few, but it just kind of trails off. Um, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer or anything, but we're just trying to get the meaning here and, and understand. 
I don't know if you remember, we got one. During Jesus' ministry is the most miracles done. Anybody want to, you're welcome to say the other two? You go way, way back to this, the dude with the long beard played by Charles Heston, of course. Moses. Remember the plague? That w- those were miracles. And he did other miracles. You remember how they got from across the Red Sea? It was a miracle. Lots of miracles during Moses' time. And a lot of, some of them were like this. A Red Sea. That's not a healing miracle, is it? In fact, a lot of the miracles that, that uh, the only real healing miracle you have uh, the two I can remember is the people who weren't killed by the angel of death in the 10th plague. That was protection. And then the other one was Miriam was kind of lipping off. <laughs> so was Aaron. But she became leprous and then God healed her. It's like, you know, kind of an interesting miracle. Jesus were a little bit, but that's one time you get these miracles. And the healing miracles were tested by some of these. And then you get Elijah and Elisha which is, you know, First Kings stuff, Second Kings. There's a lot of miracles. I don't know if you knew that, but each one raised a person from the dead, which is something cool. But they also had weather miracles. Remember, Elijah prayed for no rain. I actually sent a text to somebody before we got some of these rains, and I said, we need to find this Dennis and Elijah guy and tell him to quit because he needs to open her up, you know. And that, but so there were some, some of those things. Remember what happened at Mount Carmel? They, you had the prophets of Baal, and, and he's there cutting themselves and trying to get their God to show up. And then well, Elijah has him pour all this water on his sacrifice, and then <laughs> that's a lightning bolt, if you didn't know that. Comes down and just another nature miracle, you know. So it's all there. So y- you, you have to, if you are talking to somebody, who, and be, most of these people are very well meaning. And I'm not wanting to tell but people not to pray pray for a miracle. I, I do. I just don't expect them. Because I, I look around. And most of the time, my prayer for miracles don't, doesn't happen. It might just be that God doesn't want a miracle every five minutes. I, I don't know. That's up to him, not me. And But when you look in the biblical record, when it's just very pointed three times, it might not be something like that. So if they say, well... We can do heal. You can fake healings. It's really tough to fake the weather miracles. Uh, so it's just a, a way to think about it. Now, the disciples are affected as it appears Jesus wanted them to. I mean, look at what they said. I think this is one of the reasons he's going across. Now we can apply it. You know, the disciples say, and think about this, and they were filled with. Wonder, joy, amazement. Let's get this guy on TV. What's, what were they filled with? Fear. Three times, two in the Psalms and one in the Proverbs, it says the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. I think it's happening here. Do you know who you're dealing with here? And these are the only guys that saw it. And what did they say? Who then is this? That should be your question, always. Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Is there a question in their minds whether he did the miracle? No. The the funny, uh, ironic thing when you see some of the people who didn't believe in him, they see the miracles. The one that always gives John 11 and then end of John 12. Lazarus is dead for four days. 
there are people there who are against Jesus that see him raise Lazarus, clearly know he raised somebody from the dead, and now want to kill both of them. Wow. Did they say, well, no, that wasn't a real miracle? No, they knew it was. They didn't care. So now we can go to application. What are you going to do with this text? Well, you know that God controls the weather, so maybe you can pray more for rain if you want, or not rain. Here's just a little bit of, little bit of wisdom maybe about prayer. It just might be now. I think most of that's over now, but if you go back a few weeks, I almost guarantee you there was probably a farmer saying, Lord, please make it rain. And that same time you have a little guy saying, please help it not rain. I want to get my baseball game in. Well, who's God going to listen to? And it's gone up to him, right? It, that's hard. I always like, you know, get these movies where you know, you're praying for, and I like the sports movies and stuff, but be careful. We're playing for victory in our locker room. What in the heck do you think they're praying in the other locker room? I hope the other team wins. Be careful what you pray for, you know. We always use the, uh, you know, the Romans 10, you know, if we win, it's, it's paraphrased. If we win, we win for the Lord. If we lose, we lose for the Lord. Whether we win or lose, it's for the Lord. That's kind of, that's live or die, but we tend to win. So. so what do you apply? Now I think you can go to the storm. Maybe you are going through something. I think that's okay. That God who controls the weather and Jesus being God, that's another thing maybe we can apply. This is a deity claim because who is it that controls the weather in the Old Testament? Yahweh, always. And what did he just do? Why do you think he did that? I mean, maybe he was just annoyed and didn't like the rain. But I think it's trying to show who he is to these guys, and they're trying to figure it out. So what did he promise his followers? Does this, do we get this and say, hey, if we pray really hard, God will always do weather things that we want? Is that the point? And what did he come to do? Did he come to make sure that we have good crops and weather? And maybe some, but that's not his main reason for being there. Again, you can apply, get the meaning and then apply it. There's a meaning here and then put it into the rest of it. So now we're going to go into a little harder text, but we're going to go through it really quickly because um, that's what pastors do because we don't want to get into the hard text too deeply. No, I, that's not true. Bible studies we do. But uh, a man controlled by many demons. I'm guessing if you talk to anybody today about the sermon, you're probably going to hit the first part, not the second. But this is important. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Garcinas. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. This would really be a good movie. Um... Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before them. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him what his name was. He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. This is one guy, so just make sure we got context. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. 
Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbered about 2,000. Isn't that a lot of pigs? Anybody got pigs? Well, we'll talk later. Um, Rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. This would be a really good movie here. What the... The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. Oh, cool. So they're, you know, the herdsmen are you know, pro-Jesus, it looks like. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were overjoyed. Let's get this guy on TV. They're afraid. It keeps coming up. They're afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Hmm. Maybe they're not pro-Jesus. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how much he and how he has had mercy on you, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is the ten cities of that Greek part of uh, the area, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. It is a really cool story. Uh, it, it's an account, uh, really interesting. You've got uh, these first few verses that describe the man's situation. This is this is this is the only time we see this, other than by inference, there was a woman that was very important in Jesus' ministry that had seven demons in her. Anybody remember that one? It's a lot of, there's a lot of Mary Magdalene, yeah. Um, She, uh, so we don't see how that happened, but that maybe happened something like this. Legion, you know, we get into that, and there's, your study Bibles will help you. Uh, Might be more than seven, I don't know. A bunch, Uh, there's a bunch uh, uh, in there. So it describes, this guy's in trouble. He's cutting himself, um, but just as an aside, and it's not even in the outline, where does he go? He goes to Jesus. You think the demons wanted to go to Jesus? So there's some volition of the man still there, right? Maybe not much. I've said that a long time, and, and again, write this down if you want to remember it. It's not that hard, but it helps me. When you're looking at the demon possession, the demon influence, think about access and influence. Those are the words that make more sense. How possessed is he? I don't know. He's greatly influenced, but not so much that he can't work his way to Jesus. And do you think he just got lucky? That he just happened to be there when Jesus, the boat, you know, probably some divine providence going on here. And then verse 6 through 8, it continues to show the man's desperate situation, which we show there's a big problem there. And he doesn't know who Jesus is directly. He's a little bit, you know, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? They know that part, but they don't know Jesus in a sense of knowing and following. There's just some knowledge of who he is. Um, what do I get at there? You can know who Jesus is. It doesn't mean you're trusting in him. The demons aren't trusting in him much, <laughs> but they know who he is. And more than likely, this isn't the first time somebody's tried to help him. One would think, I mean, to get to this bad of a situation. 
Verse 10 does show their knowledge of his power. Look, and he begged him earnestly, the spokesperson demon, not to send them out of the country. That's an interesting way of putting it. So the demons never get this idea, we get that on TV, you know, when somebody's like, well, should I, you know, do this bad thing or not? And the little angel, you know, and it's always got that boy, you know, don't do it. Why is it always a wuss angel? I don't get it. Must be a big old tough angel, you know. Don't do it. <laughs> you know, maybe Mr. T, if you remember, Mr. T, a pity fool will do that. You know that type of stuff. Um, and then the the other one comes up, and, and it's a de- it's like this it's like this dualism. That's not it's never that way in the Bible. It's always God and then evil folks. You know, does it look like there's a negotiation between Legion and Jesus here? They're just begging. Don't don't send us in. And and if in Mark in Matthew's version it says the abyss, which is a kind of a technical term for where demons eventually go to stay for the rest of their existence, away from anything good. Don't send us there, uh, which tells us something about. Now, verse 11 reminds us where we are. There are pigs. So are we in Jewish territory? That's a kosher law. Um, Although my the f- guy I knew the most in Austin that was Jewish loved bacon. So I don't know what to do with that. Uh, I won't tell you his name because you don't like to perjure people in a sermon. But, uh, you know, I, I, it, it, we're in a different place. And that, that there is something to do with this. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go into that today. But if you look at this, you know, he's in the pigs. There's got to be something going on with the pigs. You know, the fact, you know, these aren't lambs or goats or and they're the pigs. It's just, I think it's just a little bit funny. But. That's not the main point. And they, 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 dis- they beg him, please, please don't do this. Guy who's in charge and we're not. They know it. I don't know how that works in the spiritual forces, of, but that there's th- what? Again, we're, we're jumped, we've got some meaning here. Let's jump to application real quick. What does that do for you? When you're struggling with something and maybe you've got, whether it's your own thoughts, somebody else, or some spiritual forces that are tempting you to do something evil, do you have the power to overcome that? No, but do you follow the one who does? Well, there you go. And the uh, and somewhere along the line, you can read the first couple chapters of Job. If that spiritual force is tempting you, he's already been get given permission by someone much more powerful than him. So that just a little bit of application in the middle. The unclean spirits can only act after Jesus. Can, you know, he says, "You may now." <laughs> going to the pigs. Which has got to just be demeaning even if you're a demon. I just can't believe that the main thing for a demon is to go possess pigs. I don't, uh, again, I don't want to have too much interaction, but rhetorically, if you've read the screw tape letters, if you haven't, I would... Uh, there's your assignment if you want one. Um, it's, it's really interesting. It's about uh, a... A demon who's kind of up here and a demon who's down here in station and it's letters between them. It's you know, obviously fictitious by C.S. Lewis. And the one that's kind of down here is, 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 you know, is Wormwood, <laughs> you know. Well, when it comes, they're all down here when it comes. They're all Wormwood. So it's like, can I do this? Is it okay? Um, so just quickly, some application, non-essential things we can get from this passage. But demons make people stronger because we had that, right? 
it's certainly possible, but it's not the main point of this, is it? I'm not saying that if you're going to go into the bodybuilder contest that you try to conjure up a demon to help out. I mean, just you do what you want with that. I mean, I think it can happen, but I don't think it's always that way. I mean, was Judas stronger when Satan entered him? That's not the point, right? There's no teaching of Jesus where our faith in him is to remain hidden. You know, that's, that's the thing we get here, too. It's like, you know, go ahead and tell about me. He tells him later. You can tell people ab about who I am uh, once you understand, and this guy did. Getting demons to say their name to have power over them. That's in kind of some of the exorcisms of the day. Um, again, that's just, that's more like a cultish, right? You know, some sort of like sticking pens and voodoo dolls and stuff. I mean, I don't see that here. Did you think Jesus didn't have the power until he got his name? How many other demons are named that Jesus cast out? I think if I add them up, none. So I don't think that's a big deal. And this is key. We won't hit this very hard. There is no prescriptive, meaning prescribing action, teaching in the Bible about an ongoing exorcism ministry. Zero. What are we supposed to do? You must have been li li listening at the welcome. What, what's our church? Teaching each person to trust in Jesus. And if they do and they repent and the Spirit comes in their heart, the demons will go away, whether it's in pegs or llamas or caribou. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Repent and believe the gospel. When the Spirit's in you, we're good. There's your exorcism. You know, and I realize in some places where it's bad, they, they're very similar to this. We don't see it in our culture because he's got us a lot of times <laughs> duped. <laughs> so the other one is Jesus hates pigs. Possible. He was Jewish. He's not going to do the pig thing at that time, but... Um, and I don't know why they didn't have a big, big uh, pulled pork barbecue after this, but I don't know. Yeah, they just got mad. And then the other one, and this one, demon must inhabit life forms. I think that's possible. It looks like it. Um, but there's no biblical examples of them going into non-life forms, like houses. Is it possible that a house is haunted? I suppose. Is it ever in the Bible? No. It doesn't say no, but it never says it that way, so do what you want with that. But it's not the point of the passage. What does this account teach us about Jesus? That's the point. He has the power and authority over unclean spirits. You don't. You're just a dude or a dudette. You do not have power by yourselves. They don't appear to like him, but they have to obey him. I, you know, John 19 to Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it has been given to you from above. And that's what we have to remember. The reason Jesus was crucified because he allowed it, not because somebody was power, more powerful than him, no matter what they thought. And even though his ministry was primarily to Jews, he cares about Gentiles too. Um, you know, we find that more with Paul's ministry and others. Um, he has authority here. He's a universal Messiah. It's not like, well, we're in Gentile territory, so you've got to get the other God. You know, no. It's all there. And then verse 14 through 17 shows the problem of placing economics and money above God. It's like, you just killed 2,000 pigs. I don't know. You guys can do the math, how much, how much cash that is. Um, but they just said, get out. Most likely because they're afraid and we got other pigs over here and we'd really like demons not to go in them. Um, you know, you get the Luke uh, 
no, you can't serve true Matt. You can't serve God and money. Doesn't mean you can't do things with money, but don't put it first. And then finally, he doesn't call everybody here to be his closest followers. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. This man wants to follow. He said, no, your, your job is to bloom where you're planted. And sometimes that's maybe what we should do. Some people are called to other places, and that's great. Most people are called to, to do what they're supposed to do where they're at. So he's continuing to show his disciples who he is. This, this, these two things are big. He just drove out a bunch of demons in a Gentile territory and calmed the storm by going, stop. we got to continue to strive to know his teachings to understand who he is too. It's going to help you. Hopefully it's helped you some today. And then once we understand who he is and what he's promised, we can start applying those promises to our lives. Let us pray. Father, it is interesting when we read both of these accounts that after your son so clearly did miraculous things, calming a storm and driving out multiple demons from one guy, that the main emotion was fear. We know that when you show us who we are, that we're guilty before you, each one of us can feel shame and certainly guilt, but that's what you came for. You came to deal with the guilt. You came to deal with the shame. You came to wash that all away. And as we walk through Mark with the disciples, help us remember that we still want to remember who you really are, that you're not just a teacher, you're not just the Messiah, that your son is not, not just there to teach, but there to save. And may we always get to know him better through your word. In your name, amen.